from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time here on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt and on wakeupcalldt.com's homepage where you can listen in to the embedded feed for mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt where you're inside the Charney's Men's Clothing Studios. Dress up and dress down at Charney's. Look good and feel good no matter what you're looking for. Every single style, every single man can find something at Charney's. This is your one-stop shop to get what you need for whatever events you got going on, or you just want to grab an extra belt or a new tie or whatever you have, whatever you're looking for. If you're going on vacation, if you're a big Tommy Bahama fan, everything is sitting there waiting for you at Charney's. And their huge, vast array of different styles for men and all different ages. So make sure you head out to Charney's today and let them know that we sent you over there and we appreciate you so much for doing that. With that being said, in this first hour of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, I'm proudly joined by Dave Paziak. Dave Paziak is somebody who is no stranger to the broadcast. He is one of our consistent voices that you hear on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, and I always appreciate having Dave on. Uh, Dave has been coaching for a very long time, doing amazing things in our community as well as in the community in Vermont in so many different places and just touching lives really everywhere. And, you know, the, the great thing for me is is getting to hear from the people that, you know, were coached by Dave Paziak or were around him and, you know, he's been a mentor or a teacher or a coach or a little bit of everything or a friend and that just, I mean, to me, that the weight of that, the, the Paziak tree is, is something very special to me because not only Dave, but the people that have been connected to him have been tremendous people. Some of them like David Hay and Mike Sugamosto and so on and so forth. So with that being said, we bring Dave in to speak on and analyze the Raptors Warriors series as we head into game six. And first and foremost, Dave, how are we doing today? Uh, great, Dan. Good to talk to you again and appreciate the kind words. Absolutely. And Dave, I kind of want to start there for you before we get into the games. Just what you could say about, you know, the people that you've met and just the the road. I mean, we look at David Hay, who, you know, obviously played for the Syracuse Stallions and he went overseas and has found success overseas very recently here. Mike Sugamosto is, you know, the the leading shareholder, so to speak, with the Syracuse Stallions. So, you know, he, he has the majority of that team in ownership and has just done a tremendous job there as president of the team and as one of the owners of the team. I mean, just what you can say about, you know, not only the people that whose lives you've touched, just being good people, but very successful and, and just what it means to you to have these, you know, former players or, or former you know, uh, protégés or whatever you want to call it, that they've been so successful? Well, I mean, it's great to see all those guys, you know, have success, stay involved in the game. You know, you mentioned Mike and Dave Hay, Lloyd Parkman that played with the Stallions. Um, 
you know, Jordan Pryor played with Binghamton Bulldogs. Like, so it's, it's nice to see those guys um, continuing on with the game. Um, you know, we've got a bunch of guys, former players, you know, Zach Thompson, Danny Forsina, Justin Stern, a bunch of those guys that are um, college head coaches now and, you know, several other guys in the area that are high school coaches. So it's, it, it's kind of neat to see them um, stay involved with the game, try to impact um, impact people, impact lives and all that. So, um, you know, really proud of what all those guys are doing. And, and what you can – I mean, uh, you brought up uh, Danny Fresina, and I want to speak on him for a second because we did a show where we uh, made history here on Wake Up Call and, and had that three-way conversation uh, simultaneously live. Just what you could say about Danny and, and what he's done, and I know we've talked about it a little bit here on the show, but, you know, just what he's brought to the community and the work that he has put in and, and him getting to start a team at Bryan and Stratton for their first ever men's basketball team after never having that in the history, just what that meant to you. Well, I, you know, I think he's, he's really doing a great job and working his tail off to get that, that program established and everything. Um, and I don't know if people really can fully appreciate, um, you know, how, how difficult it is, um, you know, to try to, to, to create something out of nothing and build a program, um, literally from scratch. I mean, they've got a, um, really good person Nick Dmitrievsky is the AD over there that's uh, you know had a lot of success with our soccer team and I think you know he's certainly um you know been a an anchor for Dan but I think Dan has done a great job of um establishing a presence in the community in a short amount of time um you know being visible and in giving um prospective student athletes another outlet to um, to play college basketball and play at a, at a high level and everything. And, um, you know, I, I think the way he's established that program um, in a short amount of time is really, really remarkable. And I think that, um, you know, in the coming years, you're going to see more and more success out of Brian and Stratton. That coming from Dave Paziak, basketball coach and analyst, hanging out with us here this morning. And, and Dave, to look at this series with the Raptors, I just I, and the Warriors, I want to broad scope it here to start things off. Just overall feels from Game Five, and then we'll break it down as we go. But the overall feel for you after watching Game Five? Well, the short, you know, the short condensed version is I think the Raptors blew a golden opportunity, you know, maybe their best opportunity to win a win a championship. It was right there for them, and uh, um, you know, going into the game, I thought with Durant coming back, I really. Thought there was a good chance that the Warriors would um, would find a way to win that game, but then when Durant went down, I think um, Toronto wasted a little opportunity to really step on Golden State's throat right there. If you remember, right after Durant left the game, um, Golden State extended their lead, and I thought Toronto had a chance at that at that part of that point in the game to to really step on Golden State, and they you know didn't do it. And then you know at the end of the game, you know Toronto battles back. And they go up six with a little less than three minutes to go, and then, um, really kind of an inexplicable timeout. I thought um, hurt Toronto, and then coming down the stretch, they really didn't, um, you know, didn't come away with a lot of good looks at the basket. You know, um, Leonard had been on a tremendous individual role, and then coming out of the timeout, he got the first touch. Um, Golden State made a little defensive adjustment, creating a tough shot, and Kawhi never really got. Uh, an opportunity to score coming down the stretch, bad turnover, um, you know, end of the game, like 
Green did a great job of getting out to Lowry, or Lowry may have been the hero, hero of the whole series. But um, I thought Toronto really kind of squandered an opportunity to, to put Golden State away on, on Monday night. Yeah, you know, and, and I would have to agree with you that, you know, Toronto really – they had an opportunity right in front of them, like you said, that they just didn't capitalize on. They didn't finish on, and you know, to have to have that to be at home and to be in that type of situation in that type of environment, and to know that you know, like you said, they could step on the throat right then and there because we see the absence once again of Kevin Durant. You know, and and to not take that and to not finish that off is is just something that you know you kind of scratch your head about and. And, you know, the wise and to know that, you know, these opportunities don't come around over and over and over again. So that's obviously something that, you know, affects this team and, and can affect the future of this and, and kind of where they're going. And now they got to play on the road again. And granted, they, you know, and, and uh, one of our listeners just said Toronto's playing with fire and I don't like it. You know, it's it, it's it's that thought. And, and I mean, yeah, they did well at Oracle, but. You know, you won two games at Oracle. You don't want to push your luck, and you're in a position where you're up three games to one. You got three chances to win one game. You don't want to take all your chances and to play the way that they did and fight their way back into the game and do what they did toward the end of the game and just really do what they've done throughout the NBA playoffs, which is be that team that never gives up, never says die, and never goes away. That you know, with what 17.9 seconds left. You can you know I mean and they said something like oh well they didn't know that Kawhi was going to get double teamed why would you not know that your best player is going to get double teamed and so he's at the top of the key he doesn't know what to do he gives it off to Van Vliet who sends it over to Lowry who hits the back of the backboard I mean bring me into the last play as a coach there's nothing drawn up I mean I'm guessing that the plan was get the ball in Kawhi's hand but there's nothing drawn up on this there's no play there's no pick and roll I'm saying you know give the ball to Kawhi and then have Marcus Saul set a pick for him, set a screen, and you know, and then see if that works. If it doesn't, then roll down, dump it off to him, let him shoot in the lane. If he gets fouled, he's going to the basket. If not, he's got a high percentage shot. And there's so many different things this team could have done. They could it just looked like confusion. It looked like it looked like garbage. It didn't look like there was any type of preparation or thought put into it. What did you think about that last drive? Because Nick Nurse has been a tremendous coach this season with the Raptors, but that last possession just looked like a whole lot of people confused on the court. Well, you know, I don't know if screen for Kawhi would have done anything for him uh, beyond what happened. The reason I say that is, you know, if they came and screened for Kawhi, Golden State was going to blitz the screen and double team him anyway. So he would have been back in the same situation. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, what they got out of it, like Green was really the guy. If you watch the play, Green did a great job for Golden State of not leaving Gasol too early because, when, you know, as soon as they trapped, Golden State was in like a kind of scramble and, and rotate mode. Um, so Green did a great job of staying home with Gasol just long enough so that they couldn't throw it into him and still getting out and getting a piece, you know, getting a piece of uh, Lowry shot. Um, you know, as the ball swung, you thought Lowry was going to get a clean look at the basket, and he didn't. Green got a piece of it, and, you know, game over. But, uh, um, you know, I mean, they had the ball in their best player's hands. Um, chance to win the game. Uh, yeah. 
you know, you kind of call on your best player to make a play there because you know he's going to get double teamed. And you know that Golden State's going to do um, whatever they can to, to make somebody else make a play in that situation. So um, I think the only thing they might have done a little bit differently is um, flatten out a little bit so Golden State had to, had to make a deeper rotation to trap them. But, uh, um, you know, the one thing I would have liked to see Leonard do is when he gave the ball up, um, he kind of became a spectator the rest of the possession. Uh, you know, when he when he gave it up, I think, you know, had he done something quickly without the ball, he might have been able to get it back. Um, you know, have an opportunity to score because, you know, you want your best player to um, have the shot if possible in that situation. But Golden State knows that too, so. Well, and, and that's the thing is that it just – it just looked like there was nothing. You know, it looked like there was no plan. Get Kawhi the ball. Okay, he's double teamed. Okay, now we don't know what to do. And for Kyle Lowry to take that last shot, you know, and it's just, I mean, he's been consistently inconsistent. I mean, it's just a fact. And he's not the guy that I'd want the ball in the hands of at the end of the game because of the way that, you know, he has played. He's not a terrible player, but, you know, he has – he has his moments, but he's really not had a game. You know, he he hasn't he hasn't had a, a, a moment. He hit some shots in this game. You know, he scored some good points. He did some good things. But what do you think about Kyle Lowry where he is right now? Because I mean, I agree with Leo Routins coming on the show and, and 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 saying, listen, you know, for the people that don't like Kyle Lowry or think that he doesn't do anything for the team, you know, he's been a part of the most success that this franchise has ever had. So, you know, you got to give him some credit where credit's due because he's been there for the success. At the same time, you know, I'm like, yeah, he's been there for the success, but a lot of that came through DeRozan. And then after that, it's come through Kawhi. So where does Kyle Lowry fit into the grand scheme of things for you? And, and what's your take on kind of what, you know, where Lowry stands? Well, I think we talked about this, you know, recently on one of the other broadcasts. I think, you know, he's kind of at the point now where um, – you know, at one point he was one. You know, he was one and one A with DeRozan, and then he, Lowry kind of took a back seat and allowed Toronto to become DeRozan's team, which you know, and that helped them continue their ascent. Um, you know, now obviously it's Kawhi's team, but I don't even think Lowry is their number two necessarily right now. That's kind of Siakam has kind of moved into that role, although he's been. Um, somewhat inconsistent in the finals too. We've had a couple of great games and a couple of games where he hasn't hasn't really been a huge factor. But uh, you know, I think Lowry is what he is. Um, you know, he he hasn't had the um, you know in past playoffs, Lowry's had the complete disappearing act or or the really negative impacts on a team. I don't think he's done that. Um, you know, I think he's shooting the ball. He's been very inconsistent. But his, his overall floor game, I think, has been um, has been pretty good. And as a glue guy, I think he's he's been important to them. And you know, in the finals and throughout the playoffs, um, you know, and I don't fault him on the last shot the other night. If he doesn't shoot it there, they don't get a shot off. Um, the ball came to him, and you know, like I say, uh, really, Green is the one that disrupted the whole um, sequence. You know, any any defender other than Green, and he probably gets that off, and who knows if it goes in or not. So, um, you know, I think Lowry is what he is. I think he's a, um, you know, he's a solid above average NBA guard. I don't think he's a, um, necessarily an all NBA guy, but, um, you know, he's, 
he's certainly not a scrub either. And you know, and I agree with you. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's a scrub by any, uh, by by any, you know, stretch of the imagination. It's just, it's it's that nine points, then twenty, then the, I mean, it's 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 you you expect with a thirty-one million dollar player more consistency. You expect, you know, making that type of money that's close to Steph Curry money to you know be a little bit more of, you know, two assists in a game of, of playing, you know, the majority of the game as a starting point guard on the team. Just the these these the kind of the low output, and he has these shots, but it's almost become, you know, that people are more surprised if he makes the shot or stunned if he can do this and that. And and it's that's the thing is I see the way that he's played and I see what he's done, and I, I was a proponent for them keeping Kyle Lowry when they almost traded him a few seasons ago to the New York Knicks, and they decided to keep him. I thought that would have been a mistake. But to see a, a player just kind of fade in and fade out, is, is he going to be worth that money? I mean, next year he makes over $33 million. So, you know, I know that we're in the finals right now, but as we extend here, you know, is this a player that you think Toronto should keep giving that type of money to when they're trying to win championships? Well, his contract is a different discussion. Um, you know, I think he's got, and I don't ever, I don't ever fault the player for getting what they can get. So, right. Um, you know, your 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 worth is what somebody's willing to pay you. But, uh, um, but I think at the same time, um, you know, Toronto has been. A franchise that um, you know traditionally they haven't been a huge player in the free agent market um, you know Canadian dollar you know playing having to go out of the country so forth and so on um, so they haven't been a they haven't been a huge um, threat in free agency so when they had guys like DeRozan who you know committed to stay in there and you know and Lowry um, you know, maybe they overpay a little bit for those guys to be able to, you know, or whereas some teams have the hometown discount, um, you know, like Clay Thompson has basically been underpaid for Golden State um, because he wanted to stay there and stay a part of what they're doing there. Uh, we'll see if that stays the same this summer. But, you know, in Toronto's case, maybe they had to pay a little bit of a, a markup to, you know, to, to get a guy like Lowry, you get a guy like DeRozan to, um, you know, to, to commit to them. So, um, you know, I think Lowry, he's probably got a contract that makes him untradeable. So, um, you know, yeah, I think for better or for worse, I think he's going to be a part of Toronto's core, um, you know, until he plays out his contract. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think he's going to be there because I don't think anybody's going to assume, you know, that money. I mean, I think that money, it's it's so high. But, you know, to are you still waiting to kind of see that that moment, though? I, I feel like, you know, if if Lowry had done a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and I know you could, we could say it about Danny Green and we could say about Van Vliet and whatnot, whatever, but we've seen different players step up at different times, and he's had his moments, but... I just feel like you kind of lean, you want to be able to lean a little bit more on Lowry or have the ball in his hands, you know, coming up the floor on that last drive and and having him utilize his vision because he's made some tremendous passes in the game. So instead of Van Vliet, you know, to put it in the hands of Lowry and let 
Lowry kind of see what's going on here? Because as we see this play develop, and I'm watching it over and over again in the studio, I'm asking myself, why did Kawhi pick the ball up? Why didn't he try to force his way through that double team because they were moving and get himself fouled? Danny Green was wide open. You know, so, I mean, when you go back and you watch this play, to you, what are your th- I mean, what are your thoughts kind of going through this? Do you think Kawhi should have tried to advance down the paint? Do you think that there should have been maybe a little bit more ball movement and, you know, seeing that Danny Green was open in the corner and then Danny Green was open at the elbow, should he have taken the shot? Because that's another thing people said is like, listen, Danny Green was cold, but he's been good these last few games. He hit a big time shot recently. They should have put the ball there and gone to the right side instead of the left. Well, I mean, the one thing that surprised me a little bit is that Kawhi gave it up a little bit willingly, I thought. Um, you know, especially considering the role he had been on, you know, two, three minutes earlier in the game. Um, you know, I thought he might try to be a little bit more assertive in taking on the double team and, 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 and taking matters into his own hands. Um, you know, I thought he he kind of accepted the double team and gave it up a little bit earlier. And then, like what I mentioned uh, a minute ago, is he really didn't do anything to get it back in that situation. Um, you know, so, uh, like, that would be the, the, the biggest thing that surprised me on that situation is that, that maybe Kawhi wasn't a little bit more assertive or aggressive in trying to create something um, you know, like you said, get something going to the basket, see if you can um, get a foul and double team, um, you know, those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, that was that was my biggest surprise in that sequence. The way that they came back, speaking here with Dave Paziak, basketball coach and analyst here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora this morning on the Toronto Raptors and Golden State Warriors series. You know, being a coach and, and seeing the way that they came back and what they did and how they did it, you know, the never say die, like I said, approach by this team. You think that they they blew a golden a golden opportunity here. On the other side of it, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, just the way that they shot, and obviously, you know, getting getting their defender to kind of jump on it. Just what you could say about the last sequence of these of these last few minutes, where Toronto was able to go up, get over a hundred points, get up by six, and then you know, kind of see where this game went from there. Just, just what you could say about Golden State and Toronto in that seesaw with those last few minutes, about three minutes left to go in the game. Just ultimately what you saw within those three minutes with a team that was viciously trying to claw their way back and then another team that was hitting the big-time shots when they needed to and, and you know how close this game was because Toronto, it's one point. It's one single point at home. So, you know, in, in these last three minutes, just what you saw from both sides, because obviously Golden State had their sharpshooters sharp do what they do on a daily basis come through. Yeah, and, um, you know, Golden State played with urgency, you know. And I think, you know, throughout the playoffs, really, um, you know, in the finals and throughout the playoffs, I think Golden State has been at their best when they've had that urgency, um, you know, whether it was the early stages of game five or, um, you know, they, they forged ahead and, and kind of extended that lead, even with the Durant injury. Um, you know, if you look back to the Portland series, they were down double figures, multiple games in that series and, and came back and won. I think they have been at their best, um, you know, when their backs have been against the wall. And I think, 
you know, that was the case the other night after Toronto went up six. Like, the majority of that game felt like Golden State was in control and Toronto was hanging on. And then in the fourth, the Raptors kind of fought their way back and, and and then Kawhi went on that little personal run to put, to, to put him up six. And he said, yeah, maybe Toronto's going to close it out. And it, 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 that was the, the point in the game where it felt like it swung and Toronto was going to close the game out. And then coming out of that timeout, you know, like you say, Golden State, um, you know, Kerr was on a media interview, and I forget exactly how he he framed it, but they talked about, like, you know, guys being able to play in the big moments. And he says, you got to – <clears throat> you got to be willing. Uh, uh, you you got to be willing to shoot the ball and willing to accept the consequences and not be, you know, not be afraid to miss in those situations. And I think, um, you know, Thompson and Curry have been in um, certainly, a, you know, enough of those moments over over recent seasons where I don't think either one of those guys, um, you know, has any reluctancy or, or, or has any fear of missing in those situations. So, um, you know, they they close the game out the way you would expect a you know a team that's won three of the last four championships to do yeah you know and to do what they've done now they're back in oracle the raptors won both games there game three and game four your thoughts about heading back to the west coast they don't have kevin durant again i do want to get to that in just a moment but your your take on toronto heading back to the west coast where they've won three games that they've played against them this season, one in the regular season without Kawhi Leonard by 20, they won that game, and then the last two that have been here inside of the NBA Finals. Your take on Golden State going back to Oracle, Toronto having another opportunity, and this being a very, very dicey seesaw of a moment because it's either going to tie the series and force a game seven, or the Raptors are finally going to be able to say that they shut the door. Like, I, I think I'm in a little bit of the minority when you listen to like some of the you know the talking heads and read the analysis and everything. But I think Golden State's in a you know in a really good position to win the series now. Um, you know I think going back home today's the last game in Oracle. Um, you know they're going to play with that urgency. Um, you know I'll be really impressed with Toronto if they um, if they're able to pull it off tonight because um, I just I I think things are lined up for Golden State. Um, you know, as well as they can be, you know, not having Durant and whatnot. But, uh, um, you know, Toronto beating them for a third time in the series, uh, you know, at at Oracle, I think, um, it's a really tall order for the Raptors. And, you know, so I think Golden State's in a, you know, in a really good spot to, to tie the series up. And then, you know, when you come to game seven, then it becomes really intriguing. Then it's, you know, then you're looking at Toronto with home court advantage and really has been the better team in the series. You know, um, point differential is always, you know, a lot of the NBA experts and whatnot look at point differential, average point differential is like being a, the, the true barometer of team strength and everything. And in this series, if you look at that, the point differential has been heavily in Toronto's favor. You know, the games they've won have been uh, comfortable margins. And, you know, Golden State has the two games they won have been, um, you know, one point, five points in the last, um, you know, in the last couple, um, last couple possessions of the game. So um, Toronto really has been the better team um, overall in the series. But I, I think the way things are, are lined up now, um, you know, if it, if it goes to a game seven in Toronto, I mean, we're, 
which way do you lean? The Raptors, you know, who have been the better team and have the home court advantage, or you know, the Warriors leaning on their, um, you know, their experience and their championship pedigree and and those kind of things. So, um, you know, I would be very very surprised if the Raptors close it out tonight. I'm I'm, I'm thinking it's probably going seven, and, and seven is going to be an intriguing game. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, it is. It's very hard to to look at this series and think that. You know, Toronto can, you know, easily shut the door now because of everything that's been going on. You know, it's it, this this is going to be a very, very tough, tough game for them to do this. You know, there's a lot of emotion and whatnot. But you got when you have your foot on the throat, you got to be able to finish it off. You got to be able to close the door. And Toronto has to have that killer mentality tonight. I think it's going to be a great game six. I'm on the other side. I think Toronto's got a good chance to win this thing. I think that they know that they let one go and they can't let one go this time around. Kevin Durant's not going to be there. I want to discuss that. They brought him back. Now, I didn't think necessarily he was coming back. I, there was a lot of smoke and mirrors. He traveled to Toronto, but allegedly he wasn't doing any team workouts and he wasn't you know, doing too much of anything out there. So he was there, but he wasn't. Then game three, they said he was going to play, but more likely game four. Then he travels to Toronto for game five, but is he going to be out there? So they bring him out onto the floor. He starts scoring immediately. He's got an immediate effect on the team. We see that you know he hasn't really gone cold, even though he's been out for a bit. And then he has an Achilles injury, and he just had surgery and posted it on Instagram and let everybody know that, you know, he's doing all right, and it was a successful surgery. God bless, no matter who you're a fan of. So, you know, your take on bringing him back, because Bob Myers, the GM of the Warriors, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Dave, but I've never seen that much emotion come out of a, a general manager or coach or anybody in the front office dealing with an injury to a player during a game and taking all of the, the brunt for it and, and taking the responsibility of putting him out there on the floor. What did you think about you know them playing him? And then secondly, how Bob Myers reacted to the injury? Well, I thought them playing him, um, you know, Durant's an elite level player. And he, he's a player and he wants to play. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't take, put any stock in the notion about, about Golden State forcing him to play. You know, I think that, uh, you know, Kevin Durant is a, I mean, he's an elite, elite level player. And, and I think he wanted to be out there and probably if left to his own devices would have been out there sooner than that. I think, you know, they, um, you know, their, their medical staff deemed him, um, deemed him ready to go. I think a lot of the stuff that you heard and saw in the media that was, you know, coming from Kerr and coming from the Warriors about, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? I really think that was just, um, you know, a little bit of gamesmanship on Golden State's part the whole way through. Um, you, you know, if, if, if you left that open question, every game, you know, going all the way back to the Portland series, I mean, there was nothing definitive there. You know, that was even a game-to-game uh, situation. So I think a lot of it was, you know, just to give, you know, give Toronto something more to think about and to prepare for and, um, you know, versus saying, no, he's definitely out for another week or, you know, he's, uh, so I, I think that a lot of that stuff was just, you know, a little bit of gamesmanship on the Warriors part, but in terms of him playing the other night, um, you know, I think Durant played cause he, you know, he, He's a competitor and elite level player and he wants to play and, you know, probably felt like, um, you know, in, in the workouts and in the, you know, 
you know, the, the things that they did leading up with the medical staff um, felt like that he was uh, at a point where he could go out there and be effective. And he, he really was right up until the, the injury. So, um, you know, it's just a really, really unfortunate thing to him, you know, for him. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully he makes a full recovery. You know, and, and, and to see this, you know, like what the, the why, you know, people ask why, you know, if, if he can opt out, you know, why would you do this? Because now you're going to be affected. But now he's in a situation where he gets paid $31.5 million on a player option. If he decides to stay with Golden State and rehab his body and be there, he's going to make over $30 million and not even have to play and just work on rehabbing and be around the people that he loves and the team that he loves and cares about, allegedly. You know, so, you know, he's in a situation where, okay, well, did he affect his stock? Maybe. But at the same time, he could stay there, rehab, make his money, and, and kind of move forward and, and and be in a place of comfort. So what do you think of the situation? Because he has that player option looming, and he can say to Golden State, I'm using my player option, $31.5 million. Give me my money. I'll be rehabbing at the team facility. I mean, where do you think about where he stands right now? It creates a really complicated and really interesting uh, web because, you know, on the one hand, he's probably looking at missing most all of next season. Um, you know, he can he can opt in, take the player option, and maybe he's in a situation um, a little bit like Cousins this year, where he comes back late in the season and and they have him as a weapon for the playoffs and everything. Um, you know, on the other hand, he goes that route and he comes back and he's not the player that he was. Um, and then he goes on the open market next summer. Does that give some teams pause about signing him um, or, or signing him to the same deal that, that, that he command now? Like, and conversely, you know, if he, if he doesn't opt in and he goes on the market this summer, um, you know, does his this is medical situation. Basically somebody would be signing him to a max deal, uh, a four year max deal, um, knowing they're not getting anything out of him the first year, you know? So, uh, that would be a, you know, kind of a Nick like thing to do a, mo- a little bit of a move out of desperation for a team. Um, so the other thing that, that him opting in does is it changes the whole dynamic with golden state. You know, they're going to have to pay Thompson. I think he goes on the market. And they're going to have to pay Green a year from now when he goes on the market. So, um, you know, if Durant opts in, that ties up um, a, a really big chunk of their salary cap and kind of limits what they'll be able to do if they bring Thompson back on a max deal. Um, they're not going to have a lot of uh, a lot of leeway, a lot of wiggle room to um, you know, they're going to have to look for a lot of veterans that are willing to come in on a minimum deal um, to, to fill roles and, and fill spots. Um, they'll have a lot less flexibility if Durant opts in. So um, that whole scenario, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because it's going to have a ripple effect, um, you know, with the Warriors and throughout the league. Yeah, you know, and, and, that's, and that's the thing is that, that piece – so is Kevin Durant that main piece when you look at free agency and you look at what's out there? Is he that one key thing that's kind of everybody's around? Or is it Anthony Davis right now? Because there's so much conversation on Anthony Davis and, and obviously Kawhi. Who do you think is is the one 
in this moment because I, I don't believe and I don't buy into the Kevin Durant going to L.A. BS, and I don't think Kawhi's going there. So I, I look at the situation of, you know, Anthony Davis and, you know, what fell apart before and now what's happening and do you believe what's being said? Do you believe this report over that report? So, you know, when, when free agency finally opens, are we talking Durant being that, that, that domino that knocks the other ones over or is it Anthony Davis? Well, uh, I think before, I think pre-injury, it was it was clearly Durant. Um, you know, now post-injury, I don't think it's either one of those guys. I think it's Kawhi. I think he's the, uh, um, you know, he's probably the, uh, you know, the biggest domino to fall in free agency. Um, you know, Davis doesn't hit the market for another year, so you know, Davis is more of a trade situation. And if you believe what's out there, he's narrowed it to. Um, you know, the Knicks and the Lakers, which, you know, I, we could get into that whole subject with Anthony Davis. You know, he's, on the one hand, wants to go somewhere where he thinks he's got a chance to win. On the other hand, you know, particularly if he were to go to the Knicks, um, you know, that franchise is, is in far more disarray and a lot farther from winning than, than the Pelicans are, in my opinion. So, um, so I think, you know, Davis is a different is a different situation because, um, you know, they're going to have to work out a deal, um, you know, with the Lakers or, or the Knicks or um, potentially involve a third team and all that kind of thing. So, um, you know, strictly in terms of free agency signings, though, I think, you know, Kawhi is the, 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 the biggest domino to fall. And then, um, you know, what he does is going to drive a lot of other things. You know, people that lose out on him, you know, now guys like Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, um, you know, they become uh, more attractive options, like the, you know, consolation prize type options for the people that, that don't like Kawhi. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see, though. Yeah, you know, and in, in, in this, like you said, Anthony Davis, because he has to be traded and whatnot in the situation that that he's in. So, I mean, we can get into all that as it opens up, but I do want to uh, do a, a really quick, you know, we to talk about Bob Myers a little bit. I want to go a, a little bit, you know, deeper into that because I brought up with Katie Kalinske this week on the show and, and even before that, is this Bob Myers really truly feeling for a player? Is this Bob Myers thinking I'm going to lose my job? Is this Bob Myers, you know, getting a little more emotional than maybe anticipated because he wants to show Kevin Durant how much he loves him, and is this kind of a ploy to keep him there? So what did you take away from watching that postgame press conference with Bob Myers, the GM of the Warriors, when he got – I mean, this you would have thought that, that, that somebody had died. I mean, the, he was very, very emotional, very – he couldn't speak at the beginning of it all. He was shaken up. It looked like a child that was scolded behind the curtain five minutes before, and I commend him on being so – you know, open with his emotion about the situation. And at the same time, I wonder why it was it was so that type of emotion. Knowing, I mean, Kevin Durant's not dead. I mean, you know, he's he, he needed surgery, and obviously it stinks when it happens. But the question is, could he have kept him off the court, even if he told him not to play? You know, could, could he have, you know, really just gone against Kevin if Kevin wanted to be out there for his team? So, what did you think about the emotion and, and where did you think the emotion was was going? Because it felt just very, very, very different 
than what typically happens when a guy goes down. I mean, you're sad as a team, but this was another type of level of emotion. Well, it, it was really kind of an extraordinary thing because you don't often see, um, you know, a team executive out there in a press conference in those kind of scenarios. Um, you know, and I think that I don't think he's. I don't think the emotion had anything to do with you know him and his job security. I don't really. I don't think that's really in question. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, yeah, both of the other things. I think he, you know, genuinely um, cares for Duran and feels for Duran. Or, uh, but uh, I also think that um, you know there was a little bit of there was probably a little bit of um, you know putting it out there you know for Duran's benefit too. This is how much you know you're valued and how much you mean to our franchise. So. Um, you know, I just thought it was it was extraordinary to see a team executive out there in in, in that situation and, and to get that emotional. Yeah, you know, I, I do. And I, I think, like you said, that it's a little bit of a couple different things with him having that type of emotion. And speaking of emotion, very emotional game for both teams. Uh, last game at the Oracle, Golden State trying to even the series, Toronto trying to shut the door for a second chance. Dave Paziak here on the broadcast with us is the Raptors get set. And, you know, hopes for a lot of Raptors fans is that this is the last time outside of away games that we see Kawhi on the West Coast and that he stays in Toronto. So the focus is on game six, and it's coming up with us tonight here on Thursday, June 13th. And you can watch it, obviously, and, uh, you know, across the world to see this game and see what happens. Dave, as always, I appreciate, you know, you being on the broadcast and imparting some knowledge and your thoughts and your take on on what's going down, and I look forward to watching the game and, and being in touch with you during the game and after the game as well. Sounds good. Look forward to talking to you again, Dan. All right, take care, Dave. We'll see you.